0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDETM. Steven Henderson, and thanks for being here. The so-called pillars of the Mackinac Policy Conference this year, the subjects that the conference will tackle, are urban education, entrepreneurship, and investment in the future. Missing from that lineup, maybe conspicuously, is the biggest story out of Michigan over the past year, the structural problems that led to the Flint water crisis. Dr. Mona Hanna-Attisha, the pediatrician who helped expose the crisis, will speak at the conference. But there isn't a whole lot more about Flint on the agenda. Should Flint have been at the forefront of conversations between business leaders and lawmakers on Mackinac this week and does the water crisis now fit into the conference conversation about urban education now that the state must focus on future support for kids joining me to talk about the conference agenda is Carrie Moss who is the executive director of the ACLU of Michigan Carrie welcome to Detroit today
1: Hi thanks Steven Yeah
0: so so it does jump out at me when you look at the the, the uh, agenda for Mackinac, that Flint is not playing a bigger role. I would imagine that also
1: jumps out at you. It kind of hit me over the head. I, I really was stunned. Um, Dr. Atisha is on the agenda for a five-minute Mackinac moment, Yeah, and then that's it, right? Kind of dead silence. And there's so many... Policy questions that have to do with business policy, state policy, that that are implicated by what happened in Flint and and utterly ignored. And I, I really was surprised um, because I, you know, I have attended many of these conferences and. There has always seemed to be a good faith effort to think and talk about issues of equity, right, and, and particular problems that our urban areas are facing. And maybe there's disagreement about the best way to address them. But to utterly ignore it uh, in in this situation, in, in a crisis, a man-made crisis that made the cover of Time magazine that brought the <laughs> – president of the United States here um, and that has devastated the health of, of children and adults and the financial future of the city to not be talked about yeah. is is really shocking. I
0: mean, if you think about it, the conceit of this conference really is the idea of bringing business and political leaders together to talk about policy, uh, to talk about the way in which uh, government and government action affects our lives. So it's really hard to imagine how... With that framework, well, you
1: didn't come to a stronger and, settlement and around me, the
0: idea of this story. Let right?
1: me even push that a little bit further. I mean, I think one of the themes I've heard year after year is accountability, and right, and it's a, a theme that's most often put out in the context of education and teacher accountability. I'm down with accountability. We all agree <laughs> that there should be <laughs> but accountability. Let's make it a little
0: more universal. Right? Well,
1: right, right, and and I'm not saying that this is a conference where there should be finger pointing or blame, but I, but I also think that, you know, to the degree that state policies, policies supported by the business community contributed to this, right, or are now going to contribute to the long-term harms, because of neglect and inattention, yeah. right? That should be called out, and it should be discussed. Okay,
0: so so right there, you say that business or policies supported by the business community are part of what led us to uh, this disaster
1: in Flint. Uh, be a little more explicit, what what are
0: you talking about?
1: When you well, say I think that there's there's a variety of policies that implicate this. So the first the first one is the emergency manager law, right? And and so even putting aside the question of democracy and how communities feel, right, when an emergency manager comes in. Sure. there Even the governor has said that this law needs to be reexamined. You know, the law requires that the emergency manager have only five years of financial experience. And we see what a disaster that's been, right, when somebody's- It's not a lot. Only- They come into a situation like and that. And their only lens is the financial bottom line in an austerity budget mode, right? We, we can see what the dire public health consequences- are so that should be right reevaluated to the degree that we're talking about business tax relief to businesses well what is the the impact of that on our aging infrastructures isn't that something you want to make michigan a place that will attract talent and modernize, and yet that question isn't on the table, seems kind of important, especially yeah. when everybody driving to and from MACA does nothing but complain about the roads.
0: <laughs> Which they're doing right now as they're riding in their cars up uh, mm-hmm. up to Mackinac City. Uh, and when you talk about that, I mean, there, we, we have very specific examples in the recent past that, that draw these two things together. If you look at, for instance, uh, the support for cities from the state in, in terms of revenue sharing and, and other financial supports, look what's happened to them over the last 15, 20 years here in Michigan. And then in uh, 2011, one of the first things we do when, when Governor Rick Snyder is elected is a massive tax shift that relieves corporations of $1.8 billion in tax liability and shifts it on to, to, to individuals. Uh, those things, I, I mean, I, I feel like the, the policy conference is an opportunity to sort of talk about how those two, two things interrelate and how they lay the groundwork
1: for... Disastrous outcome, and in fact, if I can be frank, you know, I think it's a real leadership failure, right? That those questions aren't on the table, and. Uh to your point, in 2011, that's the year that Flint was placed under the control of an emergency manager. Yes. And the reason that city was in such financial distress was because of revenue sharing cuts and because of the declining population, not because of corruption, right? Not because yeah. of mismanagement. Yeah. Maybe there were anecdotal problems here and there. I don't even know. But that, those are the underlying structural yeah. reasons. That has to be on the table. And, and of course, you know, the schools right in the governor's 75 point plan there's not one mention of K12 education not one mention yeah
0: yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the ACLU of Michigan. We are talking about the agenda up at the Mackinac Conference Policy, Policy Conference uh, and the things that seem maybe like they're missing from uh, the agenda, things that could have been discussed, uh, particularly the Flint water crisis, uh, that, that business and political leaders, uh, the role that policy played or and continues to play in uh, this this crisis uh, could have been on the agenda or more strongly represented on the agenda. Uh, Carrie, talk about going forward in Flint, uh, the way that policy implicates uh, the decisions that need to be made, the money that's going to, to need to be spent. That also seems like uh, an opportunity.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, let me you know, c- confess, I am not an urban um, revitalization expert. Um, <laughs> I, I read literature about it. Um, I, I've got a general sense about what discussions are underway in cities that are struggling and trying to regenerate. This conference has tried year after year to, t- to talk about modernizing, and yet here, here was a, 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 another lost opportunity— what opportunities does Flint present? If, if one of the conference pillars is entrepreneurship, right? How do we modernize a city like this? Is there a way to turn a crisis into an opportunity? Looking forward, uh, I wrote an op-ed for the Free Press about this a, a couple months ago. Yeah. That, uh, you know, maybe there's a chance to start fresh and 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 for some bold, innovative, right? State driven, governor driven initiatives supported by the business community that, that really say seriously, okay, we've been watching the city suffer from the loss of General Motors for the last 30 years. We are here for you. Yeah. We are going to combine our resources and do something significant. I mean,
0: I, I, I feel like I'm still waiting for that moment. When somebody s- stands up and says, okay, if if Flint was not at rock bottom before, and, and, and I would have argued certainly that before the water crisis – it was still at rock bottom and uh, several columns I wrote earlier this year, I laid out just how dramatic the decline has been uh, in in Flint at the hands of policy decisions at the state and national level, not for the last five years or the last 10 years, but for the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, But certainly now seems uh, not just the opportune time, But the imperative time for someone to stand up and say, here is a vision for how a city that has lost as much as Flint has, uh, has lost as much business as it has, has lost as much population as it has, whose infrastructure has crumbled uh, as as badly as it has. Here's the vision for what's next. I mean, there, there, there doesn't seem to be that kind of motivation at the state level. Or, or or anywhere else. I mean, and and I would put, I mean, I would put the the responsibility for that in the governor's lap first. But I don't think he's the only person who can come up with the idea
1: or rally the support to have it happen. But you're not seeing anybody do it right now. No, I mean, I think what you're really saying is there's a real absence of leadership. And uh, with with a few exceptions, I mean, I think Ken Sikama, um who sat on the task force um, that was appointed by the governor yeah. to evaluate the Flint water crisis really has stood up for this city and really sure. said that right years of kind of environmental neglect and, you know, uh, environmental injustice is a big issue. Um, and, you know, you look at a lot of the, I think, messaging <laughs> challenges the governor's had and, and mistakes that have been made over the last few months, uh, you know, really point again and again to missed opportunities. And, and I think this is, again, a missed opportunity. He um, and other business leaders – uh, really could step up and let me say this is not a partisan issue i have spoken to many many prominent republicans and democrats who are appalled by yeah. what's happened they don't want to see this ever happen again in this state um and yet what it will require, I think, is a yeah. few people to really kind of step forward and say, this this is our, we, we are going to make this, we're going to fix this. I
0: feel like it's easy to get consensus around the idea that this was a bad thing. I mean, no one could say this was a good thing. No one could say this is something that could happen. I feel like the trouble, though, comes when you start talking about what it takes to do it differently. What what does a different path look like and how much does it cost? And that's when you start to see people get off the bandwagon and say well i'm not willing to do that i'm not willing to 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 send more revenue to cities to to make them able to deliver services or i'm not willing to raise taxes on corporations uh, to to help subsidize those things i mean you know uh, i'm not
1: i'm not sure if that's true i think that may be true of of a few legislators right and and certainly you know there's a resistance i think as the budget discussions move forward to more money. Um, But I also think it's an absence of creative, bold thinking, too. I don't see a lot of ideas out there being thrown around that people are really reacting to. I see things that are pretty tried and true being trotted out. I mean, again, the governor's (laughs) 75-point plan, nothing in there that's a big surprise. It's good. It's stuff you have
0: to do, but it's not
1: something that's really going to leap the city
0: forward, right?
1: Right. And, you know, you look at... uh, the kinds of projects that the Ford Foundation invests in around the country, you look at, I think, some of the discussions that have been going on in Detroit, right? Maybe you know, I mean, at least those discussions are happening. Uh, maybe not quickly enough, yeah. but, <laughs> but you know, the idea that a modern city requires a different kind of thinking and in, in how we think about neighborhoods and the yeah. engagement of business evolution with neighborhood development. I mean, these are. That's the kind of thinking I think we need to be bringing to yeah. Flint. Yeah. Uh,
0: you, you also uh, uh, are somewhat skeptical of, of of the purpose and productivity uh, of a panel that I'm going to be uh, moderating up on Mackinac about uh, about education. And here again. It's a question of the framework that, that that you're talking about that that we're not we're not pushing past the limitations of now or reality to, to sort of think about how we might do things differently.
1: Yeah, right. So uh, I didn't really mean to give you personally ah, a
0: hard time. <laughs> People come in here, give me a hard time all the time.
1: <laughs> no, I just I brought to your attention, right, that the conference agenda describes your panel right, really about like quality schools in Detroit. Um, you know, it basically is described as a panel about being able to deliver good education, high quality education to children in financially dist- distressed districts. So right. the premise is accept the fact that these (laughs) districts are in trouble and figure it out, you know. And so that's what I was kind of challenged because I think that we do. Why are
0: they financially distressed and why do we insist that there's no alternative way to, to set them up?
1: And we set we spend a lot of money on education. Absolutely, no question about it. But it's a much more complicated dis- discussion.
0: Um, I want to talk about the ACLU's role in the media coverage that exposed the Flint water crisis. And the the, the reason I want to talk about it is because it's a really, really different model. Uh, for journalism. And it's a model that we're starting to see crop up in lots of different places. This sort of non-profit uh, funding of, of journalism that is, uh, I guess from my perspective, is trying to fill some of the gaps that are showing in newsrooms as the for-profit model for journalism continues to struggle uh, with, with finances as it continues to deteriorate. We have fewer and fewer reporters uh in for-profit newsrooms talk about what the ACLU's role was in uh, in funding what uh, and directing uh, the, the the coverage of the Flint water crisis and talk about how you see that role evolving uh, it, it's it's an unusual space for an organization like the ACLU to be in uh
1: yeah no, thanks for the question so uh, after Michigan voters, passed that uh, referendum that was repealing the emergency manager law, and then the state legislature repassed it, right, with a, a, an appropriation to make it referendum proof. I wanted. to to know what's what's the impact on poor cities. Right. At the time, over 50% of African-Americans were living in cities in Michigan under emergency manager control. And I was able to raise the funding to hire an investigative reporter, because I wanted our answers to be sound, right? I wanted to know concretely what was the impact. And so I hired Kirk Guyette. And for about a year, he spent working um, on different Detroit bankruptcy-related issues and looking at the Education Achievement Authority. And then last January 2015, we were getting calls in the office from people complaining about hair loss and skin rashes and astronomically high water bills. So Kurt started to go up to Flint um, and there uh, went to a, a town hall that the emergency manager had convened, in which he announced that since the switch to the Flint River, that for the last nine months, they had been aware that a new carcinogen was in the water. And People were really angry when they heard that. And they said, why why didn't you tell us before? You've known for nine months. And the emergency manager said, well, I'm telling you now. <laughs> um, and so Kurt was kind of so incensed that he did a video about what was going on in the city. Yeah. And, and basically, um, to make a long story short, he worked with residents in Mark Edwards, and they did independent testing. That found very high levels of lead, and then Kurt also subjected to scrutiny the state's own tests, which had said were saying the water was safe. And he figured out that they'd pretty much been rigged, that they'd dropped certain samples, and that they had gone to streets that had been fixed, yeah. right, to take samples. So all of that happened early last summer, and then, as you know, Dr. Mona Tisha did her work about blood lead levels in children, and Rachel Maddow took up the the cause, mm-hmm. and and everything kind of blew up. When when we went into this, I had no idea, right, that this would be kind of where it would lead. Sure. And it wasn't our hiring an investigative reporter wasn't meant as a critique of the news industry. Well, no, no. Um, but it was, you know, very much, you know, w- our work. Of course, we're most well known for our legal work, but we also do a tremendous amount of advocacy in the legislature. And I I just saw a really important role for investigative reporting. Uh, to help drive yeah. right those two. But it's that marriage things. of
0: uh, the advocacy role and journalism. I think that that is. Uh Different from uh, the, the for-profit model and again uh, sort of exploring a new space f- uh, for for both advocacy and for journalism and and I think I think as a journalist uh, it's a really important development uh, and, and it's worth discussing sort of what the implications of that are and what the dynamics of that look like I mean this was super important work that gets done outside Uh, the 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 sort of auspices of traditional uh, for-profit journalism and it had this really important uh, effect on the conversation, on policy, and all of those things that that, that we spend our time uh, at the newspaper uh, also trying to affect. I think it's a it's a really interesting new wrinkle to the way that stories get told.
1: And in fact, Kurt was given the Journalist of the Year Award from the Michigan Press Association, and I imagine there must have been some interesting conversations there about sure. is he really a journalist if he's working for the ACLU? And we have had a lot of questions about, right, the ethics and and the discipline that he brings to the work. But I I think we should be held to the same standards that you're held in terms of the integrity, right, of the work itself. Uh, You know, facts are facts, and people shouldn't be making (laughs) up facts. And so I hope hope that's true. And I I also want to say that, one, once Flint started to take off in terms of the media, it was amazing to work with reporters in the traditional press. Yeah. People were so motivated and brought such talent. It, it really was a joy. Yeah.
0: Okay, Carrie Moss, Executive Director of the ACLU of Michigan, as always. Thank you. Thanks to thanks for you to thank thanks to you for being here. See
1: you up at Mackinac. Yes,
0: absolutely. Uh, this is uh, Detroit today on 101.9 WDETM. Stephen Henderson will be back after a short break.